Hey there, Badger fans. John from the Bucky Cast here bringing you another opponent preview. Another one. Uh, this time I am talking to Trent Condon, who is the uh, Locked on Hawkeyes guy. Um, Trent, pleased to have you on the show. Happy to be here. Looking forward to talking about what should be probably a two-team race coming up this year in the Big Ten West and our final oh, go-around. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what I pray for. The final showdown should be between the two most successful teams in, in the Big Ten West's history. Very short but contentious history. Um, yeah, I, I, I have to start this off. Um, Iowa used to be like a big point of hatred for Badger fans back in the like 90s and 2000s. And ever since it's been about 15 years, but that the the real heat has gone out of that rivalry. It's more of a it's more of a uh, you know we we don't like Iowa, but we respect Iowa kind of thing. Um, I don't know if that's the same uh, in Iowa or is it is it different there? Well, it's I think a respectful rivalry. It, it really is, and it's grown into that. And you look at going back to that time in the 90s when the program was being turned around there in Wisconsin with what Alvarez was doing, of course, a former assistant under Hayden Fry. I think that was a portion, but the Iowa fans seeing it happen and seeing what Iowa had built throughout the eighties and then seeing Wisconsin almost kind of take their spot in the block, right? Look, mm-hmm. we're not Michigan. We're not Ohio state, but Iowa was that third program through the eighties and the beginning part of the nineties. And here comes Wisconsin, a team that me growing up, I mean, that was a W every single year. You guys were trying to run the beer. This, this was an easy one. You knew you were going to get the Badgers every single season. What's this? Now they're suddenly getting good. This isn't good. This isn't good for us. And I think that's where that rivalry brewed. Then Iowa took a huge step back, regained momentum. It, it's been back and forth, but two programs. Uh, there's a, a writer here uh, from the state of Iowa. He's put it, this is what it's been the last 30 years. Two polar bears fighting over the same sheet of ice. Ice, And I think it's absolutely perfect. That's what this rivalry is. The respect angle is definitely there, but the rivalry component, maybe that hatred that was there in the beginning, I think is dissipated on both sides. Like you said, a lot of respect on both sides, the way the programs are run, kind of doing things the right way. I think both of the fan bases see it that way, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to holler a few things when they come to town. I have family in Madison. When they make their way over to Iowa City, yeah, we're going to have good-natured ribbing, but I, I definitely agree with you. There's a lot of respect that's also been built really over these last three decades. So we were talking right before I uh, I started recording the podcast about the, the regional differences in Iowa. This was fascinating to me. Can you explain that? Yeah, so I grew up in a little town in north-central Iowa called Osage, and it was two hours and 15 minutes to Minneapolis. I had family up in Minneapolis. The Gophers were my biggest rivalry. Love the pig growing up. We used to go to the Metrodome all the time, watch Iowa-Minnesota games. Those were, the, in fact, easier to get to than Kinnick was for me growing up. So I always thought growing up that Minnesota was the biggest rival. Well, when I went to college, it wasn't the case anymore. Then at that point, that is right at the end of the Hayden Fry era, and that's when Iowa State started to beat Iowa for the first time in 15 years because that wasn't a rivalry for me growing up because Iowa won it every single time. Now living in Des Moines as I do, Iowa State, being in central Iowa, is the biggest rival. If you go over the Quad Cities, for them, it's Illinois because you have so many people on both sides. You go up to northeast Iowa, you go up to Dubuque, it's Wisconsin for them because of that. And then on the western side of the state, my wife's from Sioux City, who spent a lot of time in Omaha's Council Bluffs area, it's definitely Nebraska is the biggest rival. So more than anything, 
there isn't one rival for Iowa. It depends on your background, certainly, but it also depends on kind of where you grow up. And I don't think there's many teams in the country that have something like Iowa. We're kind of depending on what part of the state you're in that turns into what the rivalry is for you. You're surrounded on all sides by enemies. It's we basically, are. basically yes. how it works out. And we got um, the SEC to the south of us with Missouri. Yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> Um, who I thought for sure was going to be brought into the Big Ten instead of Nebraska. And, you know, lo and behold, they're now in the SEC, which seems really odd into and of itself. But it definitely shows you guys are the only school in the Big Ten after this season who's going to have three protected rivalries. Um, so that's that. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But first off, let's start talking about the offense. Mm-hmm. Um, last year was brutal for Iowa, um, to say the least. I know they did beat Wisconsin. Uh, we're still cheesed about that. Um, I believe 14 of the points. I think the total, the the winning total was scored by special teams and defense, or at least was set up by special teams and defense. Um, but the offense was was not great. Some a lot of changes going on there on the offensive side of the football. Can you uh talk about some of the key players over there? So it's a lot of transition coming up this year. And really the biggest reason for Look, Iowa's offense has never been great, but they could always put points up. And, and that has been really the mainstay in the Ferentz era is they were good enough. They were adequate. That's what you were going to get out of the Iowa offense. And the reason that it's been so bad the last two years and completely cratering last season is the offensive line. Iowa had a ton of attrition on their offensive line recruiting really over the last five years. A lot of their big prospects that they got ended up flaming out, either because of injury, because they didn't develop, whatever it was. They ended up the last couple of seasons playing a ton of freshmen and sophomores, and that showed up. The Iowa system, that's not how you do things. You build those guys up, and outside of a few talented guys that are in there, you're going to have four out of the five guys are going to be juniors and seniors, and they're going to do their, and maybe got a young stud that's in there. That's not the case the last two years. So the offense was absolutely terrible the last two years, and you start not a quarterback, not because the wide receiver woes with the offensive line. Well, Iowa went out this year, not only brings back a ton of starting experience now after those guys took their lumps the last couple of years, but also you have two transfers coming in. So Dejan Parker comes in. He was a D2 uh, all-conference player from Saginaw State at the D2 level. He comes in more than likely. Uh, he's going to be competing for the right tackle job. And then also they brought in an interior offense alignment for the Mac Miami of Ohio in Rusty Fest. So they're augmenting what they bring back, which is basically everybody on the offensive line. Their center from a year ago, Logan Jones, had never snapped a football until spring football last year, ended up starting all 13 games. And there were woes, but they're really high on him. Before we kind of get into what everybody expects and everybody likes talking about the skill positions and the like, this offensive line is going to be a lot better because it can't be worse. And when you start (laughs) at that point, you're feeling a whole lot better about what this team is going to be offensively. I kept I kept worrying that that Iowa fans were going to uh, to burn Nick DeJong at the stake last year, he was or, or a couple of other of your offensive linemen. They were that I I would read Iowa game threads, um, and good lord, the the talk about the offensive line was brutal. I thought this can't be Iowa. You're right. Yeah, uh, but they were young. Seemed really and, you weird. Know, I- so Mason Richmond is a guy that I think is going to develop into being the next Iowa tackle that gets drafted. Now, I don't think he's going to be a first or second rounder, but he's going to be a third, fourth round guy. And he's been starting since his freshman campaign. Connor Colby is another one of those guys inside. You you couple that with 
bringing in some veteran experience, bringing in guys from the portal. I think they have a chance to be a lot better up front. And one thing that really was a big takeaway for me last week at Big Ten Media Day, Kirk Ferentz is not exactly a guy that loves to give a whole lot of praise. He was given a lot of praise to that offensive line, and he truly believes that this is going to be a good offensive line. Not better, because there's only one way to go but up from a season ago, but I think he has that feeling that this team is really going to step forward. We've seen this happen two different times in the Ferentz era. Uh, the first is early on. They were playing Robert Gallery. People remember him, Outback Award winner, big dude on the outside, and the number two overall pick in the draft after his senior season. He was a guy that was out there that was a converted tight end playing at 250 pounds. A kid that I played against in high school, Bruce Nelson. He was out there playing center at 240 pounds. Well, by the time those guys were seniors, three, four years later, they had the best offensive line in the country in 2002. But it took those building blocks. feel like they're getting there. Another time was 2007 into 2008. Iowa gave up 46 sacks the season before. They got a new quarterback as Ricky Stanzi took over the reins there at the quarterback position from Jake Christensen. But that young offensive line from that year got a whole lot better. So the hope and the belief is that you take those things that we've seen in the past under Ference. He is an offensive line guru. That is what he was been his calling card going back to when he first started coaching, including in the NFL. It was the offensive line. But the guy still knows what he sees. He might be getting up there in age. He still knows offensive line and that he's going to get that figured out. Okay, so now we have to address the elephant in the room, which is the quarterback the running backs, <clears throat> the wide receivers. We know Iowa's going to have good tight ends. They have two yep. really good ones now in Michigan transfer, Eric All and Luke Lachey, who will be a junior, um, probably good enough at this point maybe to go into the NFL draft and be a, a, a high draft pick. Uh, but as for the receivers, running backs, and quarterbacks, what has changed there? What what is what is the reason for optimism at that those positions? They went and had the worst starting quarterback in the Big Ten, in my estimation, last decade. That was a three-year starter, and they replaced him with a guy that saved Jim Harbaugh's job at Michigan, a guy that led Michigan from the doldrums. Look, if Cade McNamara does not do what he did two years ago with Michigan, coming on the heels of that 2020 season, I don't know if Harbaugh is still there. I, it's very much revisionist history when people look back at Michigan and kind of remember what it was. It was cratering. And at the end of that 2020 season, when they didn't play Iowa as they were supposed to play them and Ohio State at the end of the season, that Michigan team would have been throttled by both the Hawkeyes and the Buckeyes in that game. I don't know if you survived that one, but that's a conversation for another day. McNamara, in my estimation, saved Harbaugh's job, and he might save Brian Ferris's job, the offensive coordinator, for the Hawkeyes this year. <laughs> he is such a huge upgrade, not only what he brings in terms of competence. He's a guy that actually can complete a forward pass, something that Spencer Peter struggled a whole lot with. McNamara is not a burner. He's not a runner, but he's smart with his feet, something that Peters just physically couldn't do. He is one of the most unathletic players I have ever seen play college football. And on top of it, though, he had a strong arm. He didn't have a chance to use it because of that offensive line in front of him. Peters was a bad quarterback. No two ways about it. McNamara, I do think there are some people that are maybe overstating what he is in terms of what he's going to do offensively. In the Iowa system, he's not going to throw for 3,500 yards. He's not going to throw for 28, 30 touchdowns. That's just not the way that Iowa's He's built. a good game manager. Yes, absolutely. And if he can complete 62, 63, 64% of his passes, something that Iowa has not had since the aforementioned Ricky Stanzi going back now, what, almost 15 years ago? 
now you have the chance for this offense to take a big step forward. But they got an adult back at the quarterback position. They got a leader. And that's the other thing that I'm really excited about. You know, Nate Stanley, Wisconsin uh, kid himself that went down and played for the Hawkeyes for three years before the last three years of uh, of Petrus. He was a guy that was talented, but didn't have the leadership qualities maybe you're looking for. He was a very quiet, humble kid, heck of a quarterback, but didn't have that gusto, didn't have that grab a guy by a face mask if he needs to, or, you know, he's going to pull him back. He was a very quiet, reserved guy. That is not Cade McNamara. He came in from day one, and he let everybody in that Iowa football room know that I'm the leader here, and I'm going to lead you places. And that kind of belief is something that Iowa has not had at the quarterback position in a really long time since C.J. Beathard was a quarterback and leading the team to the 12-0 regular season in 2015. He has those kind of qualities, and I think it's something that Iowa definitely needs, and they're going to have it now at the quarterback. Switching to the defense, um, I as as always, a bunch of Iowa uh, defensive linemen left for the NFL, uh, including Lucas Van Ness, who is now with the Green Bay Packers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel like you guys have to move defensive linemen away from the toilet so you can get to it. You've got so many defensive linemen on that team. Uh, just can you talk about that and who's going to be replacing uh, your two outstanding linebackers, um, Jack Campbell and uh, the other guy's name is escaping me. It was uh, Seth Benson. Thank was, you. Thank yes. you, Seth Benson. So we'll start right there. And though Iowa does not have a ton of depth at linebacker, the two starters and they now run a, a new scheme with the basically a four, two, five, they call it the cash position is they have an extra safety down there. And uh, that will be uh, Saber- uh Sebastian Castor who comes back from a year ago. So it's basically two starting linebackers and they played three a lot against well teams like you, Well, we don't have to play three anymore because no. of your guys' changes. Offensively. You can though. Yeah, I would yeah. encourage you to play three <laughs> against us now. Not going to be the case anymore, and there are just so few teams anymore that you have to do that. And this is a change that Phil Parker, the defensive coordinator, uh, started to implement about four or five years ago, understanding the changing nature of college football. But the two starting linebackers will be, first, Jay Higgins. He came in last year after there was an injury. Justin Jacobs, who ended up going on and transferring to Oregon, really talented player, the fastest linebacker certainly that Iowa had, a guy that was really athletic. He got injured in the fourth, fifth game of the year last year. Higgins came in. I saw him his first couple of years on campus playing a bunch on special teams and thought he was just a guy. And seeing what he was, his first couple of real steps at linebacker to what he was by the end of the season, he made some huge, huge strides. And he went from a guy that you feel like is just that he's a guy. Yeah, he starts as a junior season, but he was not real good. He took some big steps. If he takes another step, he has a chance to be, you know, third, fourth team, all Big Ten. I think he has that kind of upside. In the middle, though, is going to be Nick Jackson. Nick Jackson transfers in from Virginia, three-time All-ACC player, led Virginia the last three seasons in tackles. He's built differently than Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell, the hulking six foot five, two hundred and fifty pounds, can run sideline to sideline. Nick Jackson's much smaller. He's six one, you know, in the two hundred twenty-pound range, but he can definitely run. I always had middle linebackers like that in the past. Now they're really trying to figure out who's going to be the middle, who's going to be the strong sign backer between those two. They'll figure that out. Jackson didn't get to campus until this summer, so they'll be figuring that out in August camp, but they know who the starters are going to be at linebacker. That's really good. You mentioned the defensive line, and that's what gets so exciting here. You look at the two deep. There are so many years that that two deep, every one of the reserves will be starters and good starters for this Iowa team, but they realistically go 11 deep on the defensive line, all guys that could 
certainly start for a lot of Big Ten teams. Iowa, one thing that changed for them, it was after they had a couple of disappointing years. After 2009, the Orange Bowl year, 2010, they were preseason top 10, lost a bunch of close games. And one of the reasons for that is because their starters were great. Guys like Adrian Claiborne, who played for a decade in the NFL, guys like that. But they didn't have depth. They went down to Georgia, and that was one of the things that Mark Rick, the former coach of Georgia, told the Iowa staff at that time, it's great to have four. Defensive line, certainly in the SEC, you got to have 10. And Iowa really changed the way that they were approached recruiting the defensive line, and that is continuing to show up now here uh, a decade later of what they have. It is about guys up front. It's about having depth. You know, Van Ness, the big knock last year coming out of him, well, he wasn't a starter. He played the most snaps on the team, but because of the depth that they had built up, he didn't have to be a starter on top of it. So it's going to be exciting, and you control things up front and the depth that they have. That is a great building block for any kind of defense. Yeah, that's amazing. What's amazing to me, I took a glance at Iowa's roster. They only have one defensive lineman who's over 300 pounds, mm-hmm. and that's Yaya Black, who's a backup defensive tackle. Uh, they they aren't a big defensive line, but good Lord, they just get after it. I was watching film on a 2025 Iowa recruit, uh, Joey Van Wetzinger, yeah. who just committed, and I was like, there's another one. You know, it's just like the state of Iowa churns out these kids and what they can't get out of Iowa, they'll get out of Illinois or Minnesota or wherever they need to go. It's just incredible the amount of depth on the defensive line you guys have. And I'm not even going to start on the secondary because <laughs> that's ridiculous. Okay. Yeah. The, well, the concern for the defensive backfield is depth, though. Though That starting group, that starting four is as accomplished as most anybody has in the country. From the young side of it was Avery Wampa, who comes in, one of the few five-star athletes that we had here from the state of Iowa. It was teammate that just graduated last year. Caden Proctor was with the, the Hawkeyes until we won't talk time. about Caden Proctor. That that one was <laughs> That's definitely a sore a subject after changing out there. But Xavier Wampa is going to be a stud. He had a pick six in the bowl game against Kentucky in his first career start. I called a bunch of his games at the high school level. He is just so different than anything we certainly see here from the state of Iowa. And you're going to see him, the physicality that he plays with, but I've never seen anything close. The thing that jumped out, it was a sophomore year of high school and he closed on both a ball carrier on the edge and also a pass across the middle. I never seen anything close to it before from a high school kid. This is when he was a sophomore and he's obviously continued to develop at this time. He's going to be really good back there. Quinn Schulte is kind of that standard Iowa free safety. Look, small town, white kid, right? We call former him walk on, isn't he? Yep, former walk-on. But the first time he played last year as a starter, we saw him in special teams a little bit. He's got some physicality to his game. Something's a little bit different. Now, he is Wisconsin fans. Wisconsin fans don't know anything about walk-on safeties, you know, turning out to be good just players. Just a few of those, too, yeah. Yeah, just a couple. That, that's another one of the kind of the similar parts of the program, right? That Those, those guys that are the walk-on safeties that come out there and all of a sudden they're two, three-year starter, and they're getting a chance in the league, and it feels like Schulte's going to be there. We'll see, though. He is one of the names that has been rumored, nothing official with him on the gambling front, if he's going to have some kind of suspension. But And then, of course, Cooper DeJean, who is small-town Iowa kid, playing cornerback, just absolutely incredible. Watching him in high school, drop-step dunking on dudes at six foot one. Like, all right, this guy's built a little bit different, and he showed up his first couple of years on campus. They're really good there. The depth is the question mark. It showed up last year in the loss to Nebraska at the end of the season as uh, Cooper DeGene went down with an injury. They don't have a ton of depth, but that starting group is really, really good this year. And Phil Parker, the defensive coordinator, every single year, that guy has built 
with Norm Parker, no relation, but the former defensive coordinator at Iowa before he moved on and unfortunately passed away. Phil has taken this from always a good defense and taken it to an elite-level defense year after year now. Yeah, it's really getting annoying, to be perfectly honest. And we can't <laughs> we can't talk about Iowa without talking about your punter. Yes. Um, Tory Taylor, all all American type. Uh, I don't know how Iowa gets all these uh, all these great punters too, uh, but they they got him. Uh, truly a weapon on special teams, um, almost almost like a twelfth defender on the field. He is something completely different. And as you said, I was had good punters. I mean, you go way back in the day when I was a youngster with Reggie Roby, uh, Ryan Donahue, who punted the league for, I think, 12 years. They've had plenty of guys. They've had all conference guys. Corey Taylor's just different. And not just the strength that he has on his punts. And you see him, he's a big guy. He's also an old guy. You know, he didn't make his way over from Australia until I think he was already 23, 24 years old. I think he's 26 now. He's an old dude. He's yeah. been around the block and he's built differently too. I mean, he just, he's got that old man look to him too. He's thick around the middle. You know, he's got a big chest to him and he's got power <laughs> in that leg, but his ability to not just do really good at the pooch punt, you know, trying to kid, pin it in there to the five yard line, but the way he directionally punts things, the way that he basically punts to his gunners when they're trying to pin teams inside the 10 yard line, I've never seen anything like it. And because their offense sucks, you know, we have to have something to cheer for. And unfortunately for us, it's the punter. And when he goes out there and do, does one of those things, I mean, the cheers that come out and get a stadium when he pins somebody inside the five-yard line, it's incredible because we've had to watch this inept offense the last couple of years uh, go out there and, and try to figure it out. So it's been really, really good to watch. And it's not just him, too. Drew Stevens at the kicker position, what he did last year as freshman, he was really, really good. I was in good shape. LeVar Woods is a special teams coach. We talk about the specialists year after year, what they do in the snapping game. There has been maybe one bad snap in the last 15 years from them. What they also do in terms of coverage, return game, just all of it. A lot of people believe LeVar Woods, former Hawkeye linebacker, he is going to be the next head coach. When Kirk Ferentz finally retires, yeah. that he's going to be the guy that takes over. He's done an amazing job with this defense. And certainly I hope, because I've already heard this one, Northwestern, when they're looking for a full-time coach, that they don't make the call to Iowa City and Lamar Woods. Yeah, I was just going to mention that. I like what special teams coach in the country is considered the the next head coach in waiting right. at a Power Five school like Iowa. I can't think of any of them. No, absolutely not. And you know, Iowa, they're one of their former coordinators, Daryl Wilson. I think a guy that you guys know up there. I believe he mm-hmm. was a a coach, a linebackers coach for them. He was terrible. I mean, he just his special teams were always bad. It felt like and. It, and it wasn't just not having a good specialist in a spot, either kicker or punter, but it was coverage things. It was return game. And that has all been cleared up. And on top of it, and something we haven't seen the last couple of years, is all the trick plays that I was run under LeVar Woods. And though those have dissipated the last couple of years, you always know that they're in the back pocket and you get excited about that. Now they run with, they called the pole cap play or the center, uh, the snapper on a uh, field goal attempt. Caught a touchdown against Ohio State a couple of years back. They've had all these goofy formations, and LeVar Woods is the one that's been able to draw them up, too. So he's a really exciting guy. And for a program like Iowa, where in order to compete, last time they beat Ohio State, when they beat Michigan, you pull an upset against Penn State. You got to do it in between, right? You got to win in the margins, and special teams is an area that Iowa has definitely done a good job of that. 
Okay, let's switch. Let's switch tracks a little bit here. I do want to talk um, a little bit about uh, that team to the west, Nebraska. Okay. Uh, there is an intense hatred um, on the part of Nebraska fans mm-hmm. for Iowa. And I, I didn't really know how intense it was until I talked to Nebraska fans about it. And any heart, any feelings they have towards Wisconsin having beaten them nine times in a row or towards P.J. Fleck and, and, and his Minnesota program paled in comparison to how much they disliked Iowa. Why do you think that rivalry got so hot so fast? Well, to start, outside of that little corner, it's the only border rivalry for them. So you have that part of it, being a border rival. I think that's a huge component. You look at the biggest city there, Omaha. They have a sister city on the other side in Council Bluff. So you already get the rivalry there. My wife, as I talked about, she's from Northwest Iowa and Sioux City up there. It's all, there's no Cyclone fans there. It is all either Nebraska fans or Iowa fans. and, And that's the way that it's set up. So you have the border rivalry component to it. And also when they joined the league, and they decided that the final game of the year was going to be between Iowa and Nebraska, and they were going to continue the Nebraska-Black Friday rivalry that they had dating back to Oklahoma and then into Colorado for a number of years, that Iowa was going to become that game. As Iowa said, sure, we'll do that, and we'll play that Friday game against you. And there was a portion of the Nebraska fan base that felt that Iowa was beneath them. And understandable, certainly for people of a certain generation, people that were around for those 90s teams, you could understand that. Now, Iowa at the time, the last couple of times they played, they throttled the Hawkeyes. So you get that thought process. But that frustrated Iowa fans. And then Iowa goes out and rips off six, seven wins in a row. And all of a sudden, year after year, they're being able to needle Nebraska fans. And online, it got toxic. You get the back and forth. You have a Nebraska fan base that still feels like many portions of it, that it's 1995 and that they are part of the hierarchy at the top level of college football. There's Iowa fans that are reminding them that's not the case. You want to talk about history? Well, Iowa's got five national championships of their own. You want to talk about history? Well, those don't count. Those were way, well, yours were also a long time ago too. And that's where the back and forth goes. On top of it, they're weird. That's a weird fan base. I've been to every Big Ten stadium, except for the two newbies. I haven't been to Rutgers or Maryland yet. But I have been to every place. I've been to going to Iowa football games since I was a sophomore in high school. I've had season tickets. I've been there. I've talked to every single fan base, and they're just different. Even the media is different. So I was covering Big Ten Media Days their first year in Chicago. And I just happened to ride the elevator up to the level where all the interviews were taking place with Bo Pelini. We just hopped on at the same time. And the SID was with them. The athletic director was with them at the time. The elevator opens up. And there's 20 media members waiting for him just to get off the elevator to ask questions. And then another 30 fans that somehow got their way into the hotel in Chicago and got access to the floor (laughs) where all these interviews were happening. Nobody else in the Big Ten has anything like that. Plus, the media, they're a little more fanny, I guess, if you will, Mm -hmm. than most media members are. And I think that bothers some people, too, the way that they write, the way that they interact. That's a little bit, they're just different. They are a different kind of fan base, different than anything else in the Big Ten. And I think that also leads to a little bit of the rivalry just because they're so dang weird. They're just weirdos over there on that side of the river. It's a bit of a religion over there. Yes. There's not, there's not a lot else going on in Nebraska, but Nebraska football. So and we we don't have a ton ourselves either in Iowa. I mean, let's be honest, but there's even less apparently over there in Nebraska. 
Well, apparently I've not, I've not heard that story before. That's actually, that's pretty funny. I wish I could do that. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not credentialed media. I should just, I should just walk in to. Uh, yeah, well, the, you got the right colors, right? You can just hop I, in there with yeah, those goofballs. You'll be good to go. Carry, carrying a, carrying a phone and a, a clipboard. I could just, yeah. there we go. Um, all right. So let's talk records for Iowa. Um, realistically looking at this season, what do you think uh, Iowa's record will be? I will start here. And with this caveat, I am normally a very pessimistic fan. Does that have something to do with the teams that I've rooted for? Probably. So I'm a Bears fan. Yes, another thing for you Wisconsin people to make fun of me of. I was in kindergarten in 1985. All right, get off my brand. I I was looking for a team. That was a pretty easy one, right? The Super Bowl shuffle when you're five years old. That's pretty cool. It's been a disappointing now, 38 years since then. But that's how I jumped on. I'm a Twins fan which was great when I was young. When I was 7 and 11, they won the World Series. Well, now they've lost 18 consecutive uh, games in the playoffs and haven't advanced in almost 20 years in the playoffs. So I got that. And, of course, I'm a Hawkeye fan. And because of that, I think there's a lot of scar tissue. I'm normally pessimistic. I normally look at things from this is what's going to go wrong. This is as optimistic as I have been for an Iowa football team since 2009. I think they have it all. I think that there is a chip on the shoulder of the program. Though I believe that Brian Ferentz is still in over his head as a play caller offensively, I think there's enough talent that they're going to be okay over there, and that defense is going to be outstanding once again. You couple that with the schedule. Having to go to Penn State and Wisconsin, both going to be difficult, but I think that's it. I think those are going to be the only two losses on the schedule this year. I think Iowa finishes 10-2. and two. I don't see Wisconsin only with one or two losses. Or In fact, I have them at 6-3. and three in the Big Ten, even with the easy schedule that the Badgers have. So I have Iowa 10-2 and and getting to the Big Ten championship game with a rematch against Penn State. I like Penn State coming out this year. I love the talent of that team, and uh, we'll see if that plays out. But like I said, this is not normally me. This is not usually an optimistic guy when it comes to the Hawkeyes. I have big-time optimism for the first time in a long time. That, sir, is a bold prediction. We may have to come back to that one later on this season. Um, But we'll... We'll wait and see. All right, time for one more question. All right. Um, you're very optimistic this year. I understand that. Um, Brian Ferentz has very publicly been given an ultimatum. Mm-hmm. You need to score 25 points a game on offense per game for the season or you're out of a job. Do you think if Brian for first of all, I, I – I think I've answered my own question because I was going to say, can Brian Ferentz even get off the plane after the last game yeah. if he hasn't scored, you know, more than 25 points per game? I know his dad's the head coach, um, but his boss, uh, Gary Barta, his boss, yeah. um, is uh, has left um, Iowa now. Um, I'm convinced Brian Ferentz has very, very naughty pictures <laughs> of Gary Barta um, to still be the offensive coordinator at Iowa. And his dad's got a really long reach. Mm-hmm. Um, but will will he be saved even if he doesn't meet that 25 points per game? Well, that'll be an interesting thing, too. You know, if this Iowa team goes out there and they're consistent offensively, and when you do see improvements, they go from the 130th offense in the country this year, let's say they finish, I don't know, 75th. Okay for Iowa. Certainly, historically, that's a realistic spot 
with the style of play that they play, coupled with the defense and playing complimentary football. And Iowa does that, and they go 11-1, and 10-2. and two. They get to the Big Ten championship game. Hell, they pull a shocker and upset a team, you know, 17-13 in the title game, and they're going to the Rose Bowl or even the college football playoff, yet they average 24.8 points per game. You don't think that Brian Ferentz is coming back. And, and the wording, I think a lot of people miss this part of it too. The wording of the stipulation stated that his contract would be not renewed. Didn't mean that he would be fired. It wouldn't be renewed. You know what they can do? They can just give a new contract. And you know what Kirk could do is give him another contract. Because though, yes, Gary Barta was Brian Ferentz's superior. He was the guy that he had to answer to. Everybody knows that was an absolute champ. There is a reason that there are nepotism laws in the state of Iowa, in the state of Wisconsin, wherever you go, because nepotism is a real thing. And that's all that this is. But to think that Gary Barta was up there really telling him, you know what, you got to be better. He put this in here knowing that the end was coming for him, knowing that he was his way out the door. And this was something to satiate a little bit of the fan base and to give them something. But if Iowa has a successful year and they average 24 and a half points per game and don't quite get to that 25, you can bet your bottom dollar. If Kirk Ferentz is coming back and he wants Brian back, Brian will be back as the offensive coordinator for another year. That would, I, I can tell you that Paul Chris had a, had a more successful offense than that uh, the last couple of years and got rode out of town on a rail, essentially, along with his the guy he was trying to get to be a head coach, uh, Joe Rudolph, who's not a bad offensive line coach. So um, that just, that, I was not expecting that answer. That blows my mind. Um, but then again, you guys have the defense and special teams to back that sort of statement up. Um, well, that's, that is extremely interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to end it on that note because right. that's something cool to end it on. And your, your optimism, I'm just, I, I never, I never dreamed that, you know, someone would guess Iowa go in 10 and two after the season they had last year, mm-hmm. although they were still in the big 10 West race they were. Uh, up until the very end. They would have won that game against Nebraska. They would have been there even with as bad as they were offensively. They're going to be better this year. And like I said, it feels weird for me too. I I just, I almost hate the feeling of being this optimistic because I know ultimately my heart's going to be broken. I mean, that's just the life of a, of a Hawkeye fan. If they, if they lose to Iowa state, are you, are you going to have to throw something at a wall? Uh, you know what, for what I do in my full-time job with my radio show, it actually is kind of fun. I mean, like last year, just <laughs> seeing the absolute it was a disaster last year and listening to our callers that were coming and just people absolutely losing their mind. I'm at the point now where I'm going to be at least have that angle with it. That'll make it entertaining for me. It's, it's a weird rivalry. It really is. Now (laughs) Iowa state's got their own set of issues that they're dealing with right now, including looking for a quarterback. So if they do lose that game against uh, probably a freshman quarterback, yeah, there's going to be a lot of upset Hawkeye fans, even though the game's in Ames this year. All right. Well, Trent, you want to tell the folks uh, how they can uh, how they can follow your work? Yeah. If uh, anybody wants to catch uh, me, I'm on daily on the Lockdown Network. It's Lockdown Hawkeyes for any Hawkeye fans that might be checking in. You can check me out there and also host a daily radio show here in the state of Iowa in Des Moines from 11 to 1 middays on KXNO 106.3 on the FM dial. Uh, we talk a ton of Big Ten. We also talk Big 12 with the Iowa State connection, but tons of college football, college sports obviously drive things. And we're also in a really cool spot where when we're talking football in the NFL, we have basically a quarter Chiefs fans, 
Vikings fans, Packers fans, Bears fans. And if one of them stink, like my Bears have for the last decade, we don't talk about them. We can talk about the other teams. So it's a really cool market that way. We get to talk about two power conferences with the Big Ten and the Big 12 and have four NFL teams. And I'm on daily there, KXNO from 11 to 1. All right. There may be some Badger fans that tune in. I always tell everyone, first rule of uh, of uh, being a football fan, know thine enemy. Yes. So um, we going to be a fun I'm, one in October this year. It, it will be. I have no doubt about that. Badger fans are, are thirsty for revenge. In fact, that very topic is going to come up in a podcast here soon for me uh, about revenge. Because last year was a hard, hard year to swallow for most Badger fans. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show, Trent. I appreciate it. It was fun having you here. Absolutely. Thanks for your time. No problem. And to all you Badger fans out there, this is John from the Bucket Cast saying peace out, people.